everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. It's been a little while. We got some stuff going on. We're back. We're basically football only, but we know we got spring ball going on. If you haven't uh, been figuring out what's going on in the practice field, attending open practices, that means that you are not a member of Horn Frog Blitz TCU 24-7. Go sign up there right now. In a lot of stuff that we're talking about in depth, you will get to have, have read some nuggets about from our own Jeremy Clark. Uh, in, in my unbiased opinion. He continues to be the generational uh, journalist to cover the TCU Horn Frogs. Other sites come and go. Other sites grow and shrink. At the end of the day, Jeremy Clark has been here for all, coming up on two decades of covering the Frogs and keeping you in the loop of both guys on the field, what's going on in the locker room, off the field, and for those of you that love the blue meth of college football, he knows everything about recruiting, and that's why you're here. Jeremy, it's been a few weeks since we've spoken. How you doing, my friend? You're making me blush, man. All this good talk, man. You're, you got to bring me back down to earth or I'm not going to be able to walk out of my house. Head's going to well, be too not, big. It, it's not hard to bring you back down to the earth when you're 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> hey, life insurance says 5'7", sir. So you get you give me my two inches. That's moving what she said. right along. <laughs> moving right along. This is a family-friendly podcast, Jeremy. You can't say things like that. Oh, yeah, bringing you back down to earth. Hey, let's start with the big news, uh, what, what gets a lot of people on our site in the first place, which is recruiting. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I thought that we were going to hit on a lot of recruits, especially after the playoff run um, with, with TCU playing, uh, you know, beating Michigan in the semifinals, of course, losing in a lopsided game against Georgia, but everybody else was home watching us play, so I don't want to hear about scoreboard from them. Frogs landed a quarterback out of Alito. He also happens to be a, a new character on one of the spinoffs at the Four Sixes Ranches from the Yellowstone series, and his name is Hoss Haney. Jeremy, you've been covering this recruitment for a while. He was committed to Duke, was a big fan of, of the uh, academics that they have. Mike Elko is a good coach. He was kind of on my short list. Um, I would have been wrong when we hired Sonny Dykes. Take us inside this recruitment, and it's always good to get a good kid out of Alito. Yeah, I mean, the coaching staff did a really good job. I mean, Haas committed to Duke really when they were on his only P5 offer. There were some schools showing a lot of interest. Baylor was showing interest. Cal, Ole Miss, um, several other schools, Oklahoma State. And I think once he committed to Duke, it just kind of opened the floodgates for all these other schools to enter the picture. What I do know is that Everyone thought when TCU offered, it was a done deal. Um, and it really wasn't that case because one thing that Haas didn't have with TCU that he had with other schools, including most importantly Duke, was a relationship. So basically when Kendall Browles got brought on as the new offensive coordinator slash quarterback coach, it was about the first week where he offered. He went out, saw Hawkins, went out and saw Haas, and immediately offered Haas. And then you have all these other schools finally coming into the picture that are extending offers. And things got really confusing there for Haas. But with TCU, he got the offer on a Friday. He was on campus that Sunday, January 29th. It was a junior day. But he didn't actually attend the junior day. He went before um, everything started just to visit with the coaches. So this was all about building relationships with Sonny Dykes and Kendall Browse because, believe it or not, you know, Kendall – had met Haas early on in his recruitment, but really wasn't a big target of his while he was at Arkansas. So this was kind of a new thing for Haas. You know, Mike Elko and Kevin Johns did a pretty good job of recruiting him, building a family relationship, and and really just becoming the, the team that he wanted to go to. I mean, it was one of those deals where 
distance didn't really seem to play a factor. But after he started looking at some things and, and realizing that he had some closer programs to him, Duke seemed like a lot further away than, than what they uh, really wanted. So I think in the end, just those relationships with Sonny, Kendall kind of prevailed. He went to TCU several times over the course of uh, the month that he received a month after he received the offer. So those relationships were always built and everyone knows the backstory. If you don't know the backstory, then um, you're way behind recruiting because I've been talking about Haas basically since he was a freshman, um, you know, son of uh, Jesse Haney, who played football for Gary Patterson, defensive end. Uh, he was actually starting uh, ahead of Chase Ortiz, if you guys remember that name. And Jesse ended up getting injured and opened the door for Chase Ortiz, and Chase never gave the job back. But uh, Jim Ann is his mom. She was a track and basketball athlete at TCU, stud athlete. I don't know if she's in the Hall of Fame, but if she's not, she should be. She's really good. But, you know, they had, you know, uh, Jesse and, and Jim Ann had Haas when they were both in college still, and Haas even told me the story. He remembers going to Gary Patterson's office when he was a little kid and, and getting candy out of the food bowl and or candy bowl and, and uh, just always being around TCU. So even though a lot of people are kind of scoffing, uh, yeah, we knew TCU was going to get them, it really wasn't a slam dunk like everyone really thought. You know, they, they really did have to do a good job of building that relationship. And that at, at one point they made it known to Haas and his family that, hey, you're the guy. I know Mike Hawkins was the guy they were recruiting. Uh, Luke Moga out of Arizona was another guy they were recruiting. And I'm rambling on here, but this, there's there's a good ending to this story because uh, you, you, you finally see TCU get a legacy. And that really doesn't happen um, with these recruits and everyone that's followed recruit, recruiting and especially followed me for as long as you have. You know these legacies really don't come to TCU. So it was really cool to finally see a kid. Like Baron Browning. <laughs> exactly. So – it was really cool to see a kid just really sit back and evaluate some things. And Baylor, Baylor was real high on his list too. And Oklahoma State was high, but I, I think in the end, Baylor, Baylor, uh, you know, they had Sean Bell that had a great relationship with him. But Haas kept coming back and saying, "Man, TCU's just home. TCU's done so much for my family." And I've always, you, you always hear the dream offer, the dream school. Everyone kind of jokes about it. Once you hear that, there's no way they're going to get the kid. But it really was just really did resonate with with uh, Haas because that kid really has and truly has dreamed of playing at TCU since he was born. And uh, Clemson gave it a ride. And this was what's funny um, with recruiting because, as I mentioned earlier, Kendall Browse never really recruited Haas while he was at Arkansas. But once he got to TCU, he became one of the top prospects on his list. For Garrett Riley, he hardly ever talked if 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 at all i mean the family said garrett riley never really reached out to to haas haney when when garrett was the offensive coordinator at tcu but once he got to clemson it completely changed and that's what was kind of funny to the family it's like browse doesn't recruit us while he was at arkansas he gets tcu he recruits us garrett doesn't recruit us while he's at tcu didn't give us the time of day but all of a sudden now he's at clemson he's recruiting haas like crazy and and, uh, you know, it, it was kind of funny to see how that worked out. But, yeah, I, I love this pickup. He's got verified 10-6 speed. Um, I, I was told that they did some video analytics on his uh, relay teams because he hasn't ran the Open 100 yet this year, but he ran 21 miles per hour. Uh, so to kind of give some ref- – I posted that on the board. So to kind of give a comparison, Caden Durham, who runs a 10-4 and is one of the fastest kids and 
in the in the state out of Duncanville, the running back, which TCU has also offered, he ran 21.3 miles. So you've got a running back who's considered one of the fastest players in the state, and you have a quarterback that is probably going to be the fastest quarterback in the nation when it all comes down to it. Well, one of the things about landing a quarterback, especially with this being the first commit of the class, is that they can expand uh, the recruiting reach, be out there at camps and Twitters and text threads. Who else is high on the Frogs' radar right now that fans should keep an eye on that you think they've got some traction with? Well, you look at who they brought in Thursday. They had an exclusive evening over there at Sonny Dyke's house, and and, uh, the name I've always mentioned is Bryant Wesco. Bryant was kind of a, you know, when TCU first got on him with Malcolm Kelly, he was unknown. He had one offer. TCU got in early on him, and he was kind of a unknown player forever. And then every, every camp, he just progressively got better. You look at his junior tape, he plays in a triple option offense, but somehow or another, he was able to get 1,200 yards receiving and 17 touchdowns. He's very long. He's 6'4". He's got tremendous leaping ability. He's a, he, he's kind of in, in the same mold as a Quentin Johnston. He's very quiet, doesn't talk a whole lot about his recruitment, uh, just does all the right things, and, he, and he's really got a great relationship with Malcolm Kelly and that TCU coaching staff, and I've heard nothing but great things. I've got some people that are very close to Brian. I've interviewed Brian a few times, but the people I talk with say, man – Anyone that's not giving TCU a chance in this thing is completely wrong. That kid talks about TCU probably more than any other program that's recruiting him right now. I know Oklahoma's going to be in the mix. LSU's in the mix. Clemson's going to be in the mix. But I think TCU has a very good chance with Bryant Wesco, and they have a very good chance with Dozy Ezekama. I mean, Dozy is another kid that was under the radar. Malcolm got in on him pretty early, and he's got a great relationship. Both those guys were over there at Coach Dyke's house last Thursday and those are two key targets when you read the story that I did with Haas and he's quoted as saying Sonny, Coach Dykes has told me they feel like they have a really good chance at getting the number one receiving class in the nation those two guys they're, they're going to be among the top in the nation Bryant Wesco already is and and uh, Dozy's not too far off he's got this, a similar kind of build similar kind of speed and leaping ability so you get those two guys man you're you're set at X and Z for years to come. But other guys I feel really good about, uh, Ryan Hughes out of the Woodlands, he's visited TCU multiple times. He came up again last week. He was at uh, Coach Dyke's house on Thursday. He went to the Friday practice. He's going to be back again later this week, Friday for the spring game. So I feel like they're getting really, really close with him as well. And another guy that has visited multiple, multiple times is Daniel Cruz out of Richland, they're they're looking at offensive line help. They're they're really keying on offensive weapons, but I think, you know, they all know it starts up front just like every knucklehead on the message board, including myself and you, Jeff. We always talk about games being won in the trenches and they're really going out trying to get these these big offensive linemen to uh to commit to them and, and really they've done a good job and even though they don't have a commitment right now that's on from the offensive line and they've only got one commitment in Haas Haney they've really been able to sit back and not have to pressure kids. It's been a unique style for them. Everyone's kind of figuring, well, they went to the national championship game. They should already have a top 10 class. These kids should be just just trying to commit left and right to TCU. And TCU's been able to remain really patient with these guys. They don't have to reach for kids. They're in the running for several elite prospects. 
Um, and, and you mentioned, like I said earlier, Bryant Wesco, he's, he's a top 10 recruit in the nation who has visited TCU multiple times. But other guys that I feel really good about, Joseph Cryer, Louisiana kid, he visited last week, came all the way from uh, Louisiana to visit with Coach Dykes and, at his home, and he was at the game for a little bit – or not the game, the, the practice a little bit on Friday morning. Ellis Davis out of Prosper is another kid that has been extremely high on their radar – uh, there's there's going to be some guys on defense that are going to be getting in the mix for Corey and Gibson out of Lancaster is a four-star corner, one of the top defensive backs in the nation. He's got TCU very high on his list. Uh, Kawan Lacey out of Lancaster running back. He's, he's basically Anthony Jones' guy, man. He's been up to campus several times, and I think Anthony Jones has done a tremendous job recruiting him. But there's, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Colin Simmons <laughs> – Everyone's going to ask about Colin Simmons. Colin Simmons is kind of like Bryant Wesco. Anyone that doesn't think TCU has a chance with Colin Simmons, they're crazy. Now, I'm not sitting here saying TCU's going to land Colin Simmons, but they are very, very much in the mix. He was on campus again this past Friday, probably going to be on campus again this Friday for the spring game. So they're going to continue to build that relationship, and, man, what a – recruiting hall that would be to get the number one player in the nation basically or number one player in the state but uh you're you're talking about them getting names on campus that uh they've they've had some really good guys on campus in the past everyone knows you know gary and his staff did a pretty decent job recruiting some of these guys but just the names that we're seeing here within this last two recruiting cycles been kind of crazy for the guys that are getting on campus there's a lot going on in recruiting, and obviously, Horned Frog Blitz is where you're going to want to keep up with all of that. You referenced spring practice that's been going on. Let's go ahead and spend you know, probably a big chunk of the rest of the time we have getting into spring ball. What you've seen, more importantly, maybe what you've heard. I want to tee you up before we get into positions. How do things look with Kendall Bryles running the offense versus uh, Garrett Riley running the offense? I mean, there's a lot of similarities. Um, there's still some same concepts um you see maybe a little bit more mesh routes um there there were still mesh routes in the in the air raid that's a big thing in the air, air raid um quick games a little bit faster what i mean by quick game they're getting the ball out they're side arming it trying to hit those uh those quick screens and there was one i don't remember what game was that we saw like 10 quick screens in a row that just kept getting demolished but um I would say the the biggest I, I didn't watch that game. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the biggest difference I would say is definitely the tempo. Now Garrett Riley's offense went fast last year, but there's just a different bit of tempo. They're a little bit faster this year. Everyone, whether you're talking to an offensive guy or defensive guy, they're all saying the tempo's a lot different. They're going a lot faster. So I think there's gonna be um some some similarities in, in what we see kind of um you know, with, with them spreading the ball around, um, they, they want to get it to different guys. But at the same time, with this up-tempo offense, you're not subbing as much. And I will say that, you know, and we've talked about it, it's kind of like mythical uh, around TCU, the involvement of tight ends. Um, Garrett did a good job of getting those tight ends involved last year. Jared Wiley had uh, career bat, career highs and catches and yards and touchdowns. So, um, it's big to have him back, but one thing I could tell you just from being out there at 12 practices, those tight ends are involved. Jared Wiley's getting a lot of catches. DeAndre Rogers is getting involved a lot with the second-team offense. So the tempo, tight ends, and, and I'm going to 
tell you, man, Kendall Browse wants to run the football. He wants to be able to run the football, and that's kind of been his M.O. up at Arkansas. They've been able to run the football now. Uh, K.J. Jefferson had a lot to do with that, but uh, he also had some good running backs, and you know they're going to they're gonna have a chance to be a successful run team this year. They've had some practices this year where they've just simply been dominant over TCU's defensive line, and uh, that's, that's promising to see. They've got a good stable of running backs, um, that are there, Trey Sanders and, and Monty Bailey are the two guys that are uh, you know, getting a, getting the most reps. But I, I think with everything that I've seen so far out of Kendall Browse is uh, the tempo, tight ends, run game, and he's having fun, man. The guy just he he gets it, he flies around, he gets out there and covers receivers. He he's just he's very active, and uh, you know a lot of the TCU fans, especially my boy TCU Maniac, will love the fact that he's always in. TCU gear head to toe, so he looks like he's there for the long haul. Well, let's go to what is a growing quarterback battle. Do I have that? Under, do, do I have that right? I, I know that uh, more. You know, Chandler Morris is obviously um, gonna gonna be the underst- understood to be the the starter. He, he beat out Max last year going into the Colorado game, so it's not as if he's you know just chopped liver. But Hoover has been looking good as well. You've been out there to see. The, the development of Morris, the development of Hoover. Uh, we got a couple of walk-ins, be, walk-ons behind them. So let me let me tee up for two questions here at one t- at one time. What do we see from the top two quarterbacks? What's the development? What are the concerns? And then maybe more importantly, is the window still open for a, a quarterback in the transfer portal as soon as spring practices wrap up around the country? Well, I'll preface everything I'm saying right now by. Going, I'm going to go ahead. There, there's not really a quarterback battle. Um, I think if you just sit down, like Kendall's going to be correct in saying, you know, both quarterbacks were looking good. But the one thing I'll say about being out here at all these practices is one thing I have not seen. I have yet to see Josh Hoover take a snap with the first team offense. And I know in spring ball, they don't like putting, you know, categories first, second, third team, but. I'm going to tell you, those coaches yell, ones are up, twos are up, threes are up. They're yelling everything out there. So you get a really good idea who they consider their first, second, third team. And even though Josh has improved dramatically, I would not call this a quarterback battle. Compared to last year where we saw a very, very equally split reps between Chandler and Max where you really couldn't figure out okay, who the hell's the starter? Because one day you would have Max taking first-team reps, and then the next day it would be Chandler taking first-team reps. Or even in the same practice, Max would – during one team period, it's Max taking the starting reps. During the other team period, it's Chandler. So none of that has taken place with Josh being the quarterback. Um, Chandler has taken every single rep with the first-team offense. Now, there are team periods well where – They'll they'll go twos versus twos before they do good on good. But I will tell you this, Josh Hoover is probably one of the – there's no probably about it. He is one of the five guys that I look at that has improved the most um, from where he was a year ago. The guy just looks different. Anyone that's been out to practice can see. He he even said he's lost 25 pounds. You can tell – just based off the weight loss, he's got a, a, a step quicker. He looks more confident, and he's throwing the ball well. I mean, I, anyone that went to the open practice Friday can sit there and say, well, man, Josh Hoover looked good. Now, we'll say that 
he was going against second teams, the second team defense. But at the same time, he was putting those those long passes on the money. I mean, he couldn't have walked down and handed them to the receivers any better. So he he's got better throwing the football. He looks a ton quicker when he runs the football. I mean, it's not even it's not even comparable to what he looked like last year as a true freshman. So those those two guys are are definitely the two guys. Chandler, I, I'll say this about Chandler: Chandler has looked more confident he's got an extra pep in a step if that makes sense it's like he knows that this is his job and he's not playing with as much stress as trying to compete for the starting position now josh josh is pushing him to be better but i I truly don't think there's any kind of quarterback controversy do i think josh hoover's going to come out of the starter in spring ball no do i think he's going to start in the fall no but i think what we do have answered is He's a reliable backup. I do feel confident that if Chandler went down, that Josh would be able to come in there and move the offense. Now, that doesn't mean, your last question, will they still go out and try to find a quarterback in the portal? 100% absolutely yes. They need another scholarship quarterback. Uh, And this is no offense to to Party or Porter that are getting reps as walk-ons. They just need another scholarship quarterback. If if something does happen to – Chandler or Josh, it's not going to be looking very good for TCU uh, on offense. So they do need to find another guy that has maybe some experience um, playing in games and a guy that I I don't think you're going to see a guy that's going to come in there looking to supplant Chandler as the starter, but maybe a guy that is going to push Chandler good enough to where, you know, if something does happen to Chandler, he can come in and just be a little bit better than Josh and and in that experience category, if you will, and uh, be able to help them get some victories, just in case we see another scenario like we did last year with Chandler. But man, I've been I've been really impressed with both of them. Uh, they both make good throws. They they both run the offense well. They've taken that tempo, and they don't look like they're having any conflicts with it. They both look comfortable. They both run the ball very well. And uh, there's there's going to be days. It sounds like I'm just building them up and they never do anything wrong but they do have days where they're getting passes swatted back in their face they're making bad reads or uh, throwing interceptions or getting passes nearly intercepted that was happening today and quite honestly on Friday I think Chandler didn't look good I think Josh was the better looking quarterback um, with his play but yeah I I think overall uh, what I could tell you based off uh, the 12 practices I've seen I, I think Chandler Definitely looks comfortable comfortable in this offense, and I think Josh has improved tremendously enough to where I, I'd feel comfortable to where he can he can lead this team to some wins. Well, part of what's going to lead them to some wins is having an offensive line that knows what it's doing. Obviously, the Frogs had some folks graduated, some folks that are going to be highly drafted. Uh, real quick, what are you seeing on the offensive front? I know there's been some movement, maybe a guy trying out a defensive end after the practices that you've seen. What do you see settling out with maybe the the f- front seven that we front seven or front eight that the frogs will need to be successful in twenty twenty three? You know, it's it's been really tough to judge, especially about the first eight practices, because Ricker does a really good job of throwing different combinations out there, giving guys different chances. I mean, you'll you'll have a guy playing guard one day and the next day he's playing tackle or he's playing left guard and now he's playing right tackle he's just, they just they just move them all around um but 
you know, losing losing a guy like Alon Ali, Steve Avila, and Wes Harris, I mean, those were three guys that played a ton of football between the three of them. They were all fifth-year guys, um, very good players. Steve Avila obviously is very high on a lot of draft boards. He's probably going to last no later than the second round when they have the draft. So uh, big, big loss with him. But John Lance has done good. I, mean, I, I think – with his athleticism and just the fact that Ezra hasn't played a lot of football, I felt like I think they felt like John could go in there, slide into that position, and he he really's he's been playing it all spring, and he he hasn't relinquished that first team duty. I mean he's he's been going at it. He's smart. He's strong. He's one of the stronger players on the team. But I would say left and right guard are far from answered. I don't think you're going to see anyone solidified at that position. Um, at the end of spring camp. But we'll say Willis Patrick has really come on strong the last four or five practices. He's played primarily at right guard. He's a very strong guy. He's a very agile offensive lineman. I mean, when you have a pulling guard, that guy is going to be out in front of some people, and he's a big body. He's going he's gonna to barrel over some people. He's been a real, real pleasant surprise um, for that offensive line, and and really, that's what they expected when he they they got him from Jackson State, and uh, they expected him to come in and and really compete and and land one of those starting guard positions. But he's been he's been a really bright spot. And Garrett Hayes, <laughs> Garrett Hayes, man, he the first five practices, I'm out there watching practice, and I'm thinking, okay, who the heck is this number forty nine? I've never seen him before, and and lo and behold, it's Garrett Hayes, and. It was kind of an experiment. Hey, we need some depth depth at a defensive end. You're kind of down the depth chart a little bit on offensive line. And lo and behold, man, I'm not I'm not you just sugarcoat and I'm not trying to be a sunshine pumper here, but the kid has played really well in the last three or four practices. He's he's kind of been the guy at at left guard running a lot of first team and He's looked good out there. I mean, honestly, he's looked good. He, he he obviously knows what he's doing. He's been around the program for a long time. He knows what Ricker wants him to do. So I think he's been a pleasant surprise up front. But I think we're the uh, meat and potatoes of this offensive line. It, 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 and Ricker said this the other day, is, is really at the tackle spot. They've got a lot of guys that I feel comfortable with. Andrew Coker's been playing really well at right tackle. Brandon Coleman's been playing left tackle. Uh, Mike Nichols isn't out there, but he's he started to come out there last week, but tweaked something, so they've held him out again. But Ricker's extremely high on Nichols, and I think once fall camp rolls around, if Nichols is able to go at tackle, you could probably see Coleman slide down to one of those guard positions. So that's why I'm saying I don't think guard solidified at all yet. But you've got you've got Tommy Brockemeyer, who's kind of been going between second and third team. They're taking him along slowly. They're they're kind of treating him like a true freshman, to be honest. And the, and Ricker went on uh, record saying that because he hasn't played a lot of football, not only the last two years, but when you think about it, he hasn't played a lot of football the last four years because he was injured his junior and senior year at All Saints. I think his senior year he only played maybe two or three games. I remember it might, might have been just one game his senior year because I think he got injured against the Mighty Hornets in their season opener. So they won the game 70 to 50 over Azel, but he was hurt. He was hurt pretty early, but I will say the the tackles are, are big. Um, they're athletic 
You've 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 got another guy, Robbie Rochester, who's been a pleasant surprise. But I I, I would say that the offensive line still needs some work on the interior. Um, they still need to get a little bit tougher. And and Ricker said that the other day. They've got to get a little bit tougher. They've got to get a little bit more consistent. They've opened some run lanes, but they've also given up some plays where they're getting the running backs tackled in the backfield. So it's it's a work in progress, and it's definitely not going to be the the end of spring camp. That's is crazy because I, I know people want to look at it and analyze the depth chart at the end of spring camp. Man, I, I'm just telling you. I mean, if you got something better to do, spend time spend time doing whatever whatever else you want to do because the spring depth chart I, I think it could change tremendously by the time fall camp rolls around well telling people on our board they have something better to do than analyze the depth of the offensive line um it's kind of a slap in the face of of who 80 percent of them are so <laughs> at least i know that's that's what i'll be looking at <laughs> no i mean if they want to do it, if they want to do it more power to them i'm just saying don't I mean, it's it just moves around so much, um, especially in the spring. But I, I I really don't think, and I could be wrong, but there's there's a lot of time between now and, and September, and I think that offensive line is going to continue to get shifted around, and you're going to see more combinations and and things like that. I'll say uh, Barlow, he's been kind of a a guy that they wanted to see how how well he's going to do this spring. He's he's played better. Noah Boltikoff kind of battled some injuries um, last year. He's a guy that first week of camp, he's running with the ones at left guard. Then one day he's running with the third team at right tackle. Then another day he's running right guard. So he's he's becoming more versatile. He's played three different positions on the offensive line. Hasn't played center yet, but I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they line him up at center just to get him some cross training because that's one thing Ricker does a really good job of. And, and really when you think about it, McFarland does the same thing to to cross train those guys, let them get out of their comfort zone a little bit and play somewhere where they're not known to play and just to get reps at that and get better at it to kind of maybe if a situation comes up, they'll be able to play that if it comes up in a game. Well, let's go to the last piece of the offense. Um, where we've got a, a, a boatload of transfer. So we're thinking about the wide receiver core, obviously losing, you know, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, first round draft pick, Quentin Johnston. There's there's a lot of folks that have come in and there's a lot of production to replace. I'm thinking about JoJo Earl. I'm thinking about Pope John Paul Richardson. Uh, and, and there's a few other guys that I know haven't been able to see the field because maybe getting some things cleaned up, getting ready for summer and fall. But what do you see from the wide receiver core? And specifically, I want to focus in on the two new guys that are getting some updates every day on our message board. Yeah, I, I think when you when you talk to the coaches or anyone about the receiving core, the slot position, even though they lost Tay Barber, Darius Davis, and Gunnar Henderson, quite honestly, it could be more talented this year than it was last year. You're you're obviously losing some good speed with Darius and, and Tay, but you're adding a, a guy like JoJo Earl who is extremely explosive. Um, it's a it's a mar- marvelous thing to see during one on ones how open that guy gets sometimes. And sometimes I just don't mention the guys he beats because I don't want anyone being able to see who's having trouble covering covering JoJo Earl, but. He's. I think he's going to bring a different element to the to the offense. They they've obviously got him involved um, a lot. Whether it's running with the first team, second team, they're getting him a lot of reps. John Paul Richardson. He's a guy that 
they they talked about was they were going to maybe cross train them between playing some Z or X or playing slot, but right now they've they've used him primarily as a slot. I haven't seen him line up outside yet. But man, he is so meticulous in his route running and and he's not he's he's not a world-class speed guy, but he's not slow if that makes sense. He's he's going to get open. The way he runs his route com- combined with the speed that he does possess, he he has no trouble getting open. And even against some of the better cornerbacks and safeties on the team, he does a really good job of, of creating space. He catches everything. I've, I've seen him maybe drop one pass this entire spring. Um, and then when I just said that, I'm trying to remember the one pass he dropped, but I can't. So he probably hasn't dropped anything. But he, he's been extraordinarily great for that receiving core. He's got a ton of experience. He mentors the younger guys. You could see him talking those guys up. Uh, and, and I'm excited. I'm excited to see what this group does because they've been very active in the, in the 12 practices I've been to uh, as far as catching the football. And, and you got a guy like Major Everhart, was a verified 10-3 guy in high school, the first – couple weeks i mean they were involving him in a lot of different ways you can tell they want to get that speed on the field and and jordan bailey's the same way jordan's not quite as fast as as uh, major or jojo but he's got this quick burst about him to where he probably runs about a four five forty but he also probably runs a three eight shuttle he's just so quick and shifty he's he's got explosiveness to him to where he can catch those quick passes that I was talking about early in, early in the podcast where if he gets the right block, he's going to be able to take it to the house. He's just that quick. So I've been real excited with the slots. Um, X and Z, it's big having Savion back. It's big having Jordan Hudson back. I would say Savion's having a more productive camp right now. There's been some days where Jordan's had a couple of nice catches, but I would say overall Savion's had a more productive day. But I, w- I would – tell anyone right now just looking at their receiving core they need to add more depth at x and z i mean blair conright and blake now are good good players at at their positions but you you also have to have a guy that could take the top off the defense and right now jalen robinson might be that guy but he's not going through spring camp so i haven't been able to see what kind of you know explosiveness he's going to be able to bring to the offense and if they're really gonna, if they're really gonna, you know, experiment with him playing that X position for a long time, I've I've been told he's gonna be playing X, but that doesn't mean he's gonna be playing X in the fall after two weeks of fall camp, and they decide to move him around a little bit. But you got all these guys making plays, and you don't have a guy like Jalen out there. DJ Allen hasn't been out there the last week and a half. He's battling some kind of injury, um, and Jack Besh has been out all spring. He's not going to go through spring camp, but he runs around out there. He looks the part. He's a big-bodied kid. He's going to be playing a lot. Uh, he's he's going to create some mismatches. You watch any of his film at LSU, and, and it it's who he is. I mean, he's he's a quick guy. Just watching him go through some of the rehab stuff he goes through, you can tell he's got that speed, and he's got that big frame. But combined with all the receivers I've talked about, along with the tight ends, Wiley and, and, and DJ Rogers, and even – uh, Alex Honig, the, the big German, and, and uh, Lafayette, uh, the true freshman. So those those guys are making some plays too. And you've got some other guys that are going to be back. Cordell Russell, poor guy, has never been injured his whole life in football. And the very first day of practice, he goes up in one-on-ones, 
jumps for a 50-50 ball, comes down, lands wrong on the shoulder, and breaks his collarbone. So he's been out the entire spring, but he'll be back ready to go in fall camp, and I think he's going to be a guy that's going to add to the mix at that Z position and uh, see how well he does. And he's, you know, I, I will predict that he's going to be playing a lot as a true freshman. Well, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. You know, defensive line, obviously replacement replacements have to be made as well as the linebacking core, as well as the, the defensive secondary. So just walk us through those three position groups. Who are one or two guys in each spot that you see um, stepping up and being able to contribute in a way to fill some of those gaps, especially guys that had been making an impact in the program for a good while? Well, what's, which position do you want to start with first? You tell let's me. Start with, let's start with the defensive line. Well, the defensive line, I would say they're gonna they're gonna have to find a guy in the portal at that position. Um, I do like I do like the young guys, uh, Paul Oyewale. So anyone that wants to know how to say his name, it's Oyewale. So just remember that, Jeff, when you're doing your next sermon and you're talking to football. Oyewale. No, Oye. It's Oye. Like, it's like Oyewale. Oye. Oyewale. Okay. Oh, yay, so remember that. But no, he's he's looked the part. I mean, he he looks he looks like a million dollars, and he's he's swelled up, man. He's two hundred and seventy pounds, and I joked with him. I said, "Man, what do you got? Like three percent body fat?" And he's like, "No, I actually got ten percent." But he he's explosive, man. He's had a, he's had a pretty good spring camp. Is he getting to the quarterback every other snap? No, but. He's providing a good pass rush. He's he's helping in run defense. He's had a few practices where he's got a tackle for loss. But what I like about him is he really hasn't relinquished that that top spot at left end. And the only time he ever really does is when they're trying to cross-train Dominic Williams from nose tackle to left end. And Dom, he, he does good at the position, but I'll be the first to say I don't want to see that guy move from nose tackle. I like that guy plugging up the middle – and creating havoc with centers and guards, and he and he's done that this spring. He's he's looked just as good as he did last last year as a true freshman. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in his second year with the program. But right end has been Caleb Fox. Caleb Fox played behind Dylan Horton last year. They slid him over to right end. He's been some practices. They've kind of held him out of team periods just because they want to see what these other guys can do. But he's an older guy. He's a senior. He's more experienced. He's more of a guy that's going to help in run defense, kind of like a Terrell Cooper did last year. He's not going to be a guy that's going to have 10 sacks. Um, and honestly, I was a lot, really surprised last year when Dylan Horton had as many sacks as he did because I just don't think the 3-3-5 set up for a defensive end to, to have that many sacks. But they're, they're getting better. Um, I, I will say the defensive line was not very good at, at the first of camp. I'll say that they were giving up some big runs, and they're still giving up some big runs from time to time. From time to time, but those are becoming less and less each practice. I mean, they had a couple big runs today between Sanders and Bailey, but there was there was practices, guys, where it seemed like every other play they were breaking off for a long run, and not only breaking off for a long run, but not even really getting touched. So that was becoming worrisome in a lot of ways, but. I think with what I've seen the last few practices, you're looking at Paul, you're looking at Dominic and and Caleb really as your guys and backing up those guys. 
Michael's been playing a little bit of right end, left end. They they work on both sides. He's extremely athletic. Another guy looks like Paul, except he's about an inch or two taller than him. Looks the part. He's just he's just got a really good player in front of him with uh, with Caleb. But uh, Tymon Mitchell's been working right end as well. Um, he's uh, right end nose tackle. Another guy like Dom. They've just kind of been cross training a little bit. Um, but really, they need they need those younger guys, and they need that transfer. They need Rick uh, Diabru to get on campus. He'll graduate from East Carolina in May, and so he'll be on campus in June. But um, he'll add some serious depth to the defensive end position. But I, I think right now, I like the youth. I like the, the potential, but I really feel like they need another guy that's just going to be able to come in and – he, you're at this point, Jeff, and I tell told a lot of people, you're not going to find a guy that's going to have, you're not going to find a defensive end that's leaving a program that's going to come in and be a day one starter at TCU. There, those those type of transfers happen after the season, not after spring ball. You're going to find guys that are maybe buried on the depth chart where they're at right now and trying to find another place to add some depth. So, um, I think for now you've got to kind of roll with what Paul and Caleb were able to do, and 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 Michael. Uh, providing some depth at either one of those spots, time on, adding some depth, and uh, enroll with what you got. And uh, but I would I would say defense defensive line um, started slow, but they're they've gotten better. They've started getting better in the run defense. Well, let's go to the defensive secondary. I think there's going to be some losses there that may be difficult to cover up, and maybe if I'm allowed to say this, some guys returning that maybe should be passed on the depth chart. What do you see in the defensive backfield? Quite honestly, I think they may be better at corner, even though they're losing Trey Hodges Tomlinson, and, and I love Trey. Um, but I'm just talking more of a, from a depth perspective because even Sonny said it last week that or two weeks ago that at one point last season you really only had two guys that could play corner. And now when you go out there and look at them, you have – about five or six guys that could potentially go out there and play corner. And one one thing that's it's funny, I was telling someone today, you can see the difference in the guys that were recruited by Gary and his staff compared to the guys that were recruited by you know, Sonny Dykes and his staff, especially Joe Gillespie. You know, everyone knows Coach Gillespie loves those tall, rangy corners, those six one types that can get up in your face and be extremely physical and and, and can also cover. Um, I think the addition of Avery Helm is going to help this defense tremendously. He's been extremely physical and 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 he's really good in coverage. And one of the one of the practices, I think it was within the first week, he showed me right away why I like him so much because they were doing a Pat Skelly, which uh, some of you guys not totally familiar with some of the terminology. That's more seven on seven, but. It gives the it gives the quarterbacks a chance to not have to worry about a rush. They do have a time count, but it get, also gives them timing concepts with their receivers. But there was a play where Avery Helm was on Savion Williams, and mind you, Savion's six five, two hundred fifteen pounds. He's not a small guy, and Avery got all up in his grill and completely blew up the route. Yeah, I mean, Savion couldn't hardly get off the line. And when you look at Avery, Avery's about six one, six two type. I don't know exactly how much he weighs, but it really doesn't matter to me because he's pushing around a 215-pound receiver with no problem. So I know he, I know he has that physicalness to him. Channing Canada and Mason White, 
Channing was the number one JUCO corner in the nation last year, and he's another guy that's you know he's pretty long. He's not as as long as Avery. He's probably about five eleven, but he's physical. He shows good coverage ability. Mason White is a little bit longer. He's six one. He needs to add some weight. I will say that about Mason. He definitely needs to add some weight. Spend the summer um, adding about ten to fifteen pounds, and that's something that. Um, some of the guys around the program have mentioned to me that that's that's something that they're going to have a goal set for this summer is adding some weight on that guy. But Giante uh, McMillan, he's a guy that's been a walk on. Anyone that's been around TCU that says, "Hey, that kid looks like Jason Verrett," that's him. I mean, he looks he looks just like Jason did when he was there. Kind of the same body, five eleven, uh, about one hundred and eighty pounds. He's gotten better. He's earned that. He he earned that scholarship. He. He's been playing a lot. I mean, that's one thing that Carlton Buckles does an extremely good job at is is uh, letting those guys get out there and throw them to the wolves. And no matter if you're a third team or a, a first team guy, he's going to let you go against the first team offense just to see how you react. And he's got some good reps. Uh, Kyron Chambers. Kyron Chambers is a redshirt freshman. Looks like a safety, but he plays good corner. He's turns his hip good. Knows how to run with receivers. He he doesn't get beat deep quite often i mean honestly he's he's one of the better cover corners that they have from what i've what i've seen but he got a lot he's been getting a lot of reps with the twos and and obviously he got a lot of reps on friday and and today um because you don't have you don't have josh newton or avery helm out there that's one thing josh newton hasn't even practiced yet so just wait until josh newton gets out there and to see how the secondary looks looks uh, uh with him but oh wait a minute you're breaking some news right there no, I've said Josh Newton hadn't been out there in, in my reports. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's he he's he's been. I think he's it's it's nothing serious. I mean, if he wanted to go, he could go. But I just love interacting with that kid. He's he's awesome, man. He and I told him the other day. I said, man, you're going to be a coach one day. And he said, damn right, I am. <laughs> so he was he was uh, he's he's fun to he's fun to be around. He coaches those kids up, and he's always rooting for them and. He's, so he he really is like another coach on the field. Absolutely, he he is one hundred percent another coach on the field. But Noah Daniels is still out there. Noah it, Noah is two years younger than me. <laughs> he's got a mortgage to pay for. He needs to he needs to get that nil. Okay, but uh, uh, he's more worried about socking money away for his four hundred one k. No, I give it to Noah though. He's out there. He's he's out there going every day, and um, you know he he'll. He'll have some days where he gets a ton of reps, and he's worked with the second team defense. But I just, I really don't know where he sits because, like I mentioned, with some of the other position groups, the coaches do a really good job of kind of mixing and matching those guys. I, I would say the top four corners um, in spring ball that I've seen, minus Josh Newton, since he's not been out there, Avery Helm, Channing Canada, Mason White, and probably McMillan are the guys that. I've seen get the most playing time right now. Um, Ish Burdine's healthy. He's back out there. Ronald Lewis is a guy that redshirted last year. He's another guy that's really tall and long, 6'1", Ish Burdine, 6'2". But you look around and you could, I mean, just go out there. You will be able to tell without a shadow of a doubt which corners that have been recruited by Gillespie uh, and Dykes uh, since they've been there because it's it's just night and day the difference because – no more the days of the five nine or five ten cornerbacks for TCU that can run, you know, four flat shuttles and turn their hips and run. They they want the bigger guys out there. But um, 
I think we skipped over linebacker. Linebacker. Well, that's what I was going to say. Let's flip the linebackers real quick. So, really, the talk of the camp for me has been Jonathan Bax. I mean, he is – none of these true freshmen look like true freshmen. I'll just get that out of the way. I mean, these guys really should be going to their senior proms. Um, Jonathan Bax, 6'3", 237 pounds. He's been tremendous. I mean, Coach Dykes has talked about him. Gillespie's talked about him. This is a guy that TCU had to hold off LSU from stealing late in the process. And luckily for him, he had already built that good relationship with them. He had a great relationship with Buckles. And TCU was able to keep him. But not only has he played well at linebacker, he's played well at a position that he hasn't played before. This kid played defensive end at Edna Carr. He's never played linebacker before. So for him to come in and play outside linebacker where he's playing and play at the level that he is, he's good in run support. He's good in pass coverage. When you watch those guys do any drills, he's probably got the fastest feet of any linebacker they have. And he's extremely smart. He's humble. Anyone that watched the interview that we did with him today after practice, you could tell he's a very mature young man. He knows what his goals are. Uh, and and really, it's it. I, I told – I think I was telling Mark Cohen about it. Like, he reminds me so much of kind of how Dominic Williams burst onto the scene last year as a true freshman. Everyone – was kind of talking about Dom in a special way, like, man, this kid does not look like he's an 18-year-old. Oh, by the way, he's only 17. But Jonathan has really come onto the scene in that manner because he's playing like he's been around the program for two years already. He's not playing like an 18-year-old kid, like he's like he's never played linebacker. I mean, he's, he's making plays, working with the second-team defense. He's gotten to a point where he's even got – with the first-team defense. So he's going to be a kid that I think is going to be making a lot of plays this year. He's going to have a role on this team. How much will he play linebacker? I don't know yet, but if injuries happen, he's a guy that I'm extremely comfortable with going out there and playing. Marcel Brooks hasn't been out there. He's still about another two months away from fully re- uh, being fully recovered. Thomas Armstrong, he's out there, but he's kind of he's wearing a red jersey, so he's not full steam yet. Terrence Cooks was out there, but he ended up getting injured. So he's kind of not – he well, he's not going through practice right now. So the the linebacker depth, I think, will look completely different in the fall. But I would say the, the, the two guys right now that have impressed me the most, definitely Jonathan Banks and Shad Banks. Shad Banks, he just continues to amaze me because he looks like a guy. He's a thicker-bodied kid. He doesn't look like he's going to run fast, but next thing you know, he's flying to the ball. He's not afraid to take on blockers. He He's a battering ram from middle linebacker. I, I hope Gillespie sends him on a lot of blitzes this year because that dude just loves contact. He loves to put his head in the mix. So he's had a few plays where he's gotten tackles for losses, and it just doesn't seem like there's ever been a practice where he's not making a play. And I know I haven't talked about him a, a whole lot, but I have mentioned that this kid just keeps making play after play. It's like they've become routine for him now, and it's it's not anything special to say, oh, Shad Banks made a tackle for loss, because he does it every practice. And even the other day uh, at the open practice, the offense, they're down by the goal line. They have a third and five. And just when you think a receiver's open, oh, here's Shad Banks. He bats the ball away. Where did the, where the heck did he come from? So he's just making those kind of plays right now. I think he's getting real comfortable into the into the defense he's year two in the system like everyone else he's athletic 
And uh, I, I said this on, on one of my observations. I really don't know how they're going to keep him off the field. That's how good he's playing right now. So hopefully he continues that over the summer, continues to get um, bigger and, and, and faster. But right now I, th- I think he's, he's able to, you know, play at the weight that he's at. He's got good speed. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's going to be right there in the mix. Another game, a name I didn't mention was Jamoy Hodge. He hasn't been practicing um, right now at linebacker, but uh, Namdi Obiazor has made a good impact sliding down from safety to linebacker. There's been some practices where he's he's made some good plays. Extremely athletic. He's a bigger kid, 6'3", 220. He has great coverage ability. They feel comfortable with him playing that role. So it's going to be an interesting uh, battle at linebacker um, come fall camp because you have the veterans in Jamoy Hodge and Johnny Hodges. Then you have other guys like – uh, Namdi, you have other guys like uh, Jonathan Back, Shad Banks, Marcel Brooks, uh, Terrence Cooks. Those guys are all going to be vying for a position, and it's going to be interesting to see who those starting three guys are going to be. Well, let's look at Friday. The Frogs have a spring game, a, a night under the lights. This is something that I know they they did differently last year, trying to really gin up a crowd, get the program excited. What should we expect Friday night, and how how can fans get out there and support the Frogs? Well, gates open at 6, so that means be there at 5 o'clock if you want to find a parking spot, especially at TCU. But it's going to be on ESPN Plus for you guys that can't make it out there. I I like the way they do it. They draft both teams. Actually, it's not – a glorified practice. They, uh, you know, will be live. There's going to be some guys that are obviously going to be missing. It looks like for precautionary reasons, but that's okay. It's always a fun time, man. They'll have some recruits out there. It's they're not treating it as a as a, as a special night like they had over there at Coach Dyke's house last Thursday. But there'll be some guys in attendance, and I think here pretty soon you'll start to see some of those dominoes fall even more. Um, once guys get get around campus again, I, I really like I said earlier. I really think Ryan Hughes is very close, and uh, you know I, I I think if you continue to work on guys like Bryant Wesco and Dozy, as a comma, those guys are going to be getting real close to pulling the trigger too. So um, I'm excited, man. I love I love spring games under the lights, seven o'clock. Um, it'll it'll be fun, man. If you see me, come say hi. Uh, some guys, if you're talking to me, and I keep looking at my phone or texting something it means i'm i'm making notes so my good friend uh my good friends always come up and talk to me and I always feel like i'm being rude if i look down at my phone and text some stuff but just understand i'm i'm trying to trying to take down notes as much as i can for you guys well let's close on some fun gossip you ready for that you ready to be a little petty yeah sure how long until the pac-12 dissolves now, I know part of this is just um, ego and, you know, hey, we're going to be the third strongest power five that could be power four conference. But the the big the Pac-12 has been trying to get a media deal done for what feels like since the day UCLA and USC decided to leave. And, of course, Brett Yormark has done a great job. He jumped right out there, uh, solidified not only that, we're, you know, the Frogs are going to continue, the Big 12 is going to continue to make competitive money. It's not Big Ten or SEC money, but they're making good money. Um, and they're also, you can find their games on TV. Pac-12 is talking about 
you know, getting less money and being 80% on Amazon or Apple. Right now, the the push is that they're going to be on CW, which I thought were your, like, teenage love stories. But Wait, wait, um, hold on. CW, like, as in, on a very special One Tree Hill. Yes! You're kidding me. Yes, no kidding. Vampire Diaries. Vampire Diaries, yes. The CW. Um if if you were big if you were Brett Yormark and you had a chance to to make a power play here, what would you do? Well, I'd go <clears throat> just for my own personal feelings, I'd 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 love to have Colorado in the Big Twelve, just because I like that trip. Um Arizona, because Arizona's always gonna have good memories for me. So Arizona, Arizona State and Utah. I'd go raid those four right now. And not look back. Even Oregon and Washington, I'd raid those six. And leave the Pac-12, and leave the Pac-12, like, trying to add Fresno State and San Jose State to make their conference relevant. In SMU. In SMU. So, let's say Washington and Oregon are willing to come, but they only want, like, say, a a five- or six-year deal because, you know, everybody wants to keep their options open for grant of rights with – you know the Big Ten or the SEC both going to twenty four. You you cool with that? If you break, make it an eighteen team conference that has like an unofficial uh, handshake, I mean an official unofficial uh, agreement that hey, we all know the next time that that the market goes wild, it's every man for himself. Would you be okay with that? Man, the way college football is going right now for these super conferences and everything else, I, I would be okay with that because. We don't even know what the, the landscape's going to look like 10 years from now. It could be four. I mean, there could be a uh, a league that's full of all these blue blood programs or P5 schools that exist right now that aren't even under the NCAA umbrella. And they're playing for a totally different national championship compared to what we see right now in the present. So... Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Washington, Oregon want to come for five or six years? Go for it. I don't, I really don't care. I think it's just going to be changing anyway. In the next next ten years. Well, I think you're right on that front. I think it's all up in the air. If we can get as big a brand as possible, get as many games as possible against some good teams, you know, getting Oregon, getting Washington would be good. Obviously, Dion, people are going to pull in. You know, are going to uh, tune in to to see see him shine or see the train wreck and probably be just as drawn to one as the other. So I, I say go for it. In Arizona, that's good for basketball. I like I like there's one of the underappreciated things is that Arizona is is becoming a recruiting hotbed. And, you know, there's a lot of migration from California into Arizona, a lot more affordable housing, a lot more commitment to athletics. So I'll be curious to see what Arizona looks like over the next 10 years as a state to continue to produce high school talent. So I think that would be good for the Big 12. We need something other than everybody trying to get in and in North Dallas and in Houston and Waco and all of that, we got We got to get some more uh, recruiting uh, markets. Oh yeah, I one hundred percent agree with you on that. Phoenix is the the Phoenix area is exploding, and we all saw that. And any one of us that were down there for the Fiesta Bowl can just see how much growth they have down there. And like you mentioned, Jeff, the the recruiting explosion that they've had in the last decade is only getting bigger. I mean, there it's becoming. Uh, really and truly one of the top five recruiting hotbeds in the nation um, for talent. I mean, you've got 
the number one player in the nation, Dylan Rayola, who's from Arizona in that region. And, and there's been a few five stars and, and plenty of four stars sprinkled in over the last 10 years. Uh, hey, you can laugh, but Spencer Rattler's from Arizona. Yeah. So is Keely Wingo. Is that Trey's son? <laughs> no, he's the guy that was pretty dominant against TCU. <laughs> From I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. <laughs> Too soon. Trey Wingo, Baylor grad. So, uh, all right. Hey, we're going to bring this to an end. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. We are luckily not in charge of the Big 12, and who knows what happens. But I will tell you, if something breaks over the next month, we will be back here to get on it. You guys go out there on Friday. You guys and gals get out there on Friday night. Support the Frogs for the spring game. If you're within driving distance, get in there. It's the closest thing we're going to have to action under the lights until uh, Labor Day weekend when the Frogs kick off at home against Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes, a game that I'm predicting right now will be college game day. It will be college game day, and I will be in attendance for that thing. So stick um, stick around and, and support the Frogs on Friday night. And if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com. We would love for you to sign up. Now is as good a time as any as the Frogs begin to build their 2024 recruiting class. Everything you want to know, you're going to find from Jeremy Clark, the best of the business. So until we get back together, for Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.